Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Back in the 1960s, a short-lived television program debuted that was simply called Branded. It was the story of a wounded soldier in the 1860s who fought bravely and survived a dreadful battle, only to be branded as a deserter since he was the lone survivor. Despite his previous heroics in battle, all of that positive activity was wiped out in the minds of others. Our anti-hero was now simply known as a coward and a deserter, whether he deserved it or not. Let's move forward to the fall of 1944 when a reliable fullback for the Chicago Cardinals suddenly found himself branded as a deserter. Again, whether he deserved it or not. So let us introduce you to our anti-hero of the NFL, and his name was Johnny Grigas. After an All-American career at Holy Cross ending with the 1942 season, Grigas was determined to join the military during World War II and reported to the Boston Induction Center for his physical and further orders. For some reason, Grigas failed the required physical, although doctors indicated that his ailment would not prevent him from pursuing a pro football career. Grigas was a second-round draft choice of the Chicago Cardinals in 1943. He topped the club in rushing with 333 yards in 1943, then stayed with the Cardinals as the winless team merged with Pittsburgh in 1944 to form the woeful card pits creation. The combined team suffered through another 0-10 season, but Grigas paced the NFL in rushing through most of the season. After picking up 123 yards in a 21-7 loss to the Lions on November 12th, Grigas was the leading rusher in the National Football League. He also starred on defense and usually played all 60 minutes for the undermanned card pits. Then, on December 3, 1944, the talented Grigas did the unthinkable and failed to show up for the final game of the season against the Chicago Bears. The Mason City, Iowa Globe basically described Grigas as the deserter for this action, while the headline of the Fresno, California Bee stated, Hard work bores Grigas, so he quits. While Grigas was idle, the Bears blasted their opponents 49-7 and even took the time to rub the outcome in the faces of the card pits by sending in 235-pound center Bulldog Turner into the Bears' backfield late in the game. Turner responded by scoring on an 18-yard run. The loss capped the winless campaign for the card pits and left everyone asking, what the heck happened to Johnny Grigas? After all, Grigas had participated in the final team practice on the day before the Bears game and appeared ready to reprise his Iron Man role for the club. But his teammate and Don Curvin noticed that for some reason, Grigas seemed a bit down after the practice. Said Curvin, I tried to shake him out of it. I bought two tickets for the hockey game and suggested that he accompany me. 
We got within a short distance of the gardens when he said, Eh, the heck with it. I'm tired. I'm going back to the hotel to get some sleep. And Grigas left. Kurovin then attended the hockey game, and when he returned to the Webster Hall Hotel, Grigas was sound asleep. However, when he awoke the next morning, Grigas was gone, and Kurovin revealed that Grigas had left him a brief letter that said, Dear Don, did not want to wake you up. Funny thing, everything seems so mixed up. I'm going home now. Can't change my plans. Take care of my bags. Best of luck, Johnny. The absence of the triple threat Grigas during the game crippled whatever chance the card pits had in hopes of knocking off the Bears. Johnny Popovich started at fullback in place of Grigas, but was soon replaced by Antoni Borva, who actually had never played in the backfield before. The 49-7 collapse was the worst beating suffered by the winless combined team in 1944. Shortly after the contest, Pittsburgh owners Art Rooney and Burt Bell announced that their club would forge ahead by itself in the future after merging with other teams for two seasons. Said Rooney, we have the best of feelings towards the Cardinals. They have a fine management and relations were most friendly. The whole bunch from Chicago were fine fellows, but we all know now that these combines just don't work out. Meanwhile, Grigas was the object of barbs and insults from newspapers and other media due to his disappearance. To the media, Grigas was simply a football man who quit on his team. In reality, Grigas was far from a quitter. He was a determined football star who simply was beaten up by playing 60 minutes, frozen fields, little blocking protection, and irksome injuries. He did explain his absence in an open letter to his coaches and teammates by noting, I tried to win and worked hard, but the workhouse, workhorse as I was termed by the newspapers, is almost ready for the stud farm. Regus added, the human mind is the faculty of the soul, which is influenced by the human body. When your mind is changed because of the physical beating week in and week out, your soul isn't in the game. No one can deny the efforts of Grigas on the field, especially since he was the sole offensive firepower on a winless team. While his letter helped ease some of those verbal assaults, Harvey Boyle of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette urged caution when considering the Grigas situation. Boyle wrote, Outside observers will go a little slow in putting the backfield star in the grease as a result of his action, for certainly the tone of his letter indicated that whatever his physical condition, for the final contest, he was not geared psychologically to give out with his best. In January 1945, Coach Phil Handler of the Cardinals shared some additional insight with the Detroit Free Press that helped to further clarify the actions of Grigas. Handler said, Grigas worked days in the steel mill at a job where he had to stand all the time. The team practiced at night because of a shortage of backs. Grigas had to work on both offense and defense. Then Sundays, he always played 60 minutes of football. The strain was too great, and he finally gave up. Eventually, the mocking of Grigas disappeared. It turned out that he was working full-time in an industrial plant in Cambridge, Massachusetts that supplied products for the military. In fact, Grigas requested that the card pits make special travel arrangements for him after away games so that Grigas could not be late for work on Mondays, according to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, which reported, When the club played away, train reservations were always made so that Johnny could get back to his job 
even when the rest of the squad remained away an extra day. Of course, Grigas could have avoided any scorn or embarrassment by simply playing in the final game of the year. But in truth, a closer review of his letter to management reveals a man on the edge, and one who felt wedged into a corner with nowhere else to turn. Grigas stated, My action, for what I just did, may not be the best in regard to good ethical business. Think what you may of me, but I sincerely believe that in all justice, it is for the best. In closing, all I can say is that I'm deeply sorry, but these are things which can't be explained. Good luck, and may the team win just this one. Later, reporter Jerry Nassen of the Boston Globe finally rectified his viewpoint on Grigas in January of 1945. Grigas is not a prima donna. He'd been working days in a steel mill, practiced football nights, and played 60-minute football on Sundays. It was too much of a grind week after week, especially when those football fields started to freeze into the texture of the sidewalks of New York. From the disappointment of being classified as fora for military duty, Grigas secured that full-time job supporting the war effort, standing on his feet all day, including overtime, took over an equally full-time responsibility on the football field, endured long and restless train trips, and absorbed the pressure of being the workhorse for a very ugly NFL team. All of these factors helped contribute to the intriguing and questionable decision made by Grigas on that final day of the 1944 season. Despite the stain of missing that last contest, Grigas still led the NFL in all-purpose yards, finished second in rushing, and was named to the All-NFL team. On September 7, 1945, prior to the next uh, season, Grigas and Kuravan were both traded to the Boston Yanks. He played three more seasons in the NFL, but was never able to duplicate the statistical success he achieved with the Cardinals. On a more positive note, following the Grigas incident, newspapers first began to encourage the NFL to monitor injury situations, especially for possible concussions. Thank you for listening, and please join us for our next episode when we examine one of the first indoor football games for the NFL that helped change the look of the league forever. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. We at the Sports History Network are so glad to introduce to you a new addition to our lineup. Gridiron Greats Magazine Podcast is a weekly podcast that focuses on the history and memorabilia of North American football since its inception in 1869. It's hosted by Bob Swick, the publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and Joe Squires, a longtime contributor to that magazine. The podcast was launched in 2017 and has over 150 episodes that you can listen to now on a Sports History Network, as well as your favorite podcast provider. So join Bob and Joe as they go through football history, talking about the memorabilia and the great legendary players and games of the American Gridiron on the Gridiron Greats Magazine Podcast.